get ready for the world's greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Fergus. This is at number four of our summer series of Arsenal history, The Way It Was, uh, joined as always by uh, old man Trev uh, and uh, the very informative Andy and Mark, who are Arsenal authors and historians. Really enjoying these series. Uh, the last one was Chapman. Uh, this one is going to be really interesting, a different, a different era. We're looking at Arsenal history, 1935 to 1953. Really do hope you enjoy the show. If you like it, tell your friends about it. Click subscribe and share with it. Mark, how are you doing? Okay, sir. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Did you enjoy the football on Wednesday night? Is it coming out? (laughs) (laughs) Andy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Fergus. Uh, Even as uh, someone who's not particularly interested in international football, I quite enjoyed the other night as well and looking forward to Sunday. I, I am too. I am too, and I don't have a horse in the race. But I, I'm, I'm I'm grabbing on the coattails of the English now. So like, you know, I do love a pizza, but not that much. Um, Trev, another t-shirt, another day. I've yeah, even well, gotten your old cast-offs. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> passing them on to you. Um, I'm looking forward to this very much, Fergus. It's uh, it's not the it's not. I'm not very up to date on this area. It's like a gap in my for some reason, and, and some. I'm looking forward to Andy and Mark putting us putting us some facts across to us that on a few things. I'm really, do you know what? Talking about international football before we move on, I'd lost all faith in international football. wasn't really bothered about it, not interested. But I've got to give this tournament credit where it's due. You know, credit where it's due. It has reignited my my interest a bit, and that's not just because England are through to the final. I think that the standard of football has been well been pretty good and and the standard of refereeing has been better than we've been used to in the Premier League I think although we've yeah. still got a lot of cheating going on the refs are definitely trying to have a little bit of a crackdown on it I think VAR has been used sensibly and much better than it has been in the Premier League yeah. and it's overall it's, it's made the game easier to watch you know mm. so yeah I'm into it I think we had a great 1-1 win the other night in the semi-final <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm hoping you and Lee judges, you and Lee judges together. You know that. <laughs> I'm hoping we win the next one, three, three in the final, mate. So yeah, we uh, it's, uh, it's reignited my, my faith in international football. I'm enjoying it, mate. Right. So if anybody wants to check out what Andy and Mark do, uh, the Arsenal history, telling it the way it really was, is their website. They've got links to the books and and a lot of the facts and stuff that we we're, we're going to talk about today. Um, we don't pre-warn the guys what we're going to talk about. I try and cobble together a few bits and pieces, and uh, we put them on the hot, on, on, on the spot, really. So uh, they don't really know what we're going to ask. Or they know the the era, and then it's just uh, it's almost like a mastermind of Arsenal uh, specialist subject, nineteen thirty-five to nineteen fifty-three. I've started so off. Uh, I'll finish uh, before we do finish. The the one thing where we finished off on the last one was uh, the Herbert Chapman era. Now on the sixth of January, nineteen thirty-four, uh, Herbert Chapman died of pneumonia. Um, he was quite fit and active leading up to that beforehand, Andy. Um, uh, he, I think he'd been at a game or looking at games, so it was quite a, a, a sudden death, wasn't it? I'm, I'm not sure how fit he was. I mean, he was getting on, you know, sort of like in his mid fifties, but um, and he was quite a portly chap as well. So I think um, he, you know, he wasn't an overly fit 
person. But yeah, he'd been to see the, the third team play against Guildford um, a few days before. Um, uh, and then, you know, he came down quite quickly with pneumonia and it's very, it's very sudden. And, and mm. the morning that he died, he, he died in, in, in the morning on a Saturday morning and Arsenal actually played that afternoon, which is like astounding. That would never happen today, would it? No, it'd be about 16 weeks a morning, wouldn't there, or something like that? Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> and flags and, and, and armbands and everything else, which, listen, a mark of respect, yeah, but it would it sometimes goes over the top. Listen, this was the Highbury uh, before um, before the East End was built. This was the North Bank, the South, uh, the, the Clock End, um, and the West Stand that uh, Chapman commissioned, but he also commissioned the new... Um, the new East Stand, the Marble Halls, uh, and this is the construction of the Marble Halls, uh, and that opened in 1936 36. and 35, yeah. 36. 36. Mark, do you want to talk a bit, a, a bit about, you know, the, the the East Stand and what it must have looked like? I suppose if you compare it to modern times, like the way the Emirates must look like in comparison to some of the older stadiums, like say maybe uh i don't know turf more in comparison to the emirates the facilities and what we had on offer there do you reckon that um it intimidated uh visiting fans mark um i don't know really it, it might have done um i mean I, I tend to think i mean if you if you look back when teams were intimidated for, from my personal memory i remember that teams being intimidated by liverpool well, you know, they weren't necessarily intimidated by the stadium; they were intimidated by the team. So, if your team's strong, you're going you're you know, you're to think you're going to lose a game from the start. Um, mm. And if you think about it, it was built in '36. Okay, we won the league two years later um, in '38. Um, but as Andy was put, put, saying you know, last last week, um, we were on the slide effectively. You know, we, we weren't. The, the great team that we had been in the early 30s, we were still a really good team, um, but we weren't a great team. Um, and I, I'm not convinced that the, the surroundings play a huge part in that. It's all how the team's made up, basically. I mean, the, the question people, you know, I saw someone asking the question is, why have England been absolutely appalling since 66? And all of a sudden, you know, we're good. I know it's going, going away, but it's, it's a sort of, it's more of a team, isn't it? It's more of a team thing than, than the, the environment. You know, they, they've had fantastic training facilities for England for 30 odd years. Arsenal had great training mm. facilities. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to trans it's going to transport it onto the pitch. So, Mark, we, we go into decline, for want of a better phrase, well, maybe after Chapman dies, right? After Chapman unfortunately passes, we go into a bit of a decline. We win the league in 38 and then we go into a bit of a decline. Is that is that because Chapman isn't there anymore? No, no, as we've already said, I mean, Ch Ch Alisson won the same number of trophies that, that Chapman won. And Whitaker after him, you know, they both won two leagues and one FA Cup. So there wasn't, it was, it was, I suppose because he wasn't there, it was different. But Alisson was, diff was a different type of, type of manager. He was more of a showman. You know, he, he was more, he was more, what's the word for it? Um, Hollywood than, um, than Chapman was. Chapman was, was football and Allison was a bit more, bit more rounded in that respect. Is that he, he knew about football, but football wasn't really his his main interest. His main interest was the media, um, which he utilised to, to huge, huge amounts. You know, going into the Second World War and stuff. 
and, and I think also so, I think, there, there was uh, Alex James was coming to the end of his career, and he was the linchpin in the team. He was like the the man that all of the game went through. Him and Bastian on the on the left wing. So James was coming to the end of his career. He's you know in his late thirty, mid to late thirties, and he left in he, he retired in nineteen thirty seven, and Arsenal didn't replace him before the war. Mm. So that, that yeah, was one that you know that they were just about getting through with him in the team, but you know he, he almost didn't make the nineteen thirty six cup final. Um, and, and you know we won thirty won the league in thirty seven thirty eight by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, and Andy, with 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 the, the the unveiling of the new stand and stuff like that, the facilities in there would have been state of the art. Um, would that given us any? I know what Mark said about like the team and the players and so on, but would that given us any uh, advantage or any leverage to to you know win those leagues by the skin of our teeth or whatever? What what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I think more than anything, it probably impressed the other teams that you know would come and hmm. um, come and play at Highbury. I think you know if you if you've ever been down there, you, you go into the marble halls and you can't be anything other than impressed. Even was it seventy odd years after it was built, you know it's, yeah. it's truly fantastic. So back in the nineteen thirties, teams would have arrived there, gone into the marble halls, and think they've walked into a palace. Um, and you know, as you said, the facilities were fantastic. There was underfloor heating in the Arsenal dressing rooms. There was um, like baths, and you know, there was a big bath in in the in the changing rooms and individual baths as well. And Tom Whittaker had a, a great medical room. He was into um, all sorts of innovative um, uh, types of medicines and, and cures for injuries. Uh, and he had that built around what tip Tom Whittaker needed. Okay. Okay. Uh, but this all came at a cost, didn't it, Andy? Because uh, we had to borrow significantly uh, pre-war so, yeah. to develop the ground. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think like uh, before the First World War, when we originally moved to Highbury, uh, we laid out a lot of money without realising what might happen in the next few years. So when we you know, when we moved to Highbury, um, William Hall and Henry Norris borrowed a lot of money or lent, lent the club a lot of money and had to do all sorts of financial deals to borrow the money to pay for Highbury originally, which they finally paid off in 1925. And then in the... 30s Arsenal, you know, have hit a boom time. They've got massive, massive crowds coming. They're making huge profits during the 30s. And um, what they did was they, they upgraded the ground. They they uh, extended the North Bank. Uh, they beat, built the West Stand, as we said, and then uh, with the East Stand, it, it cost about three times as much as the West Stand. And so by the time uh, the, the Second World War broke out, Arsenal were in uh, were owed owed um the prudential who they borrowed the money from uh, over one hundred and twenty thousand pounds which was a huge amount of money uh, back then it, you know the, the club was probably turning over about seventy thousand pounds a year so it's probably more than two years worth of their turnover um but they obviously weren't expecting the war to come along and they were expecting you know the big crowds to stay there uh, and all of a sudden boom the war comes along and football stops mm. So, 
lead, leading up to that and leading up to the war after Herbert Chapman, Allison becomes um, uh, George Allison becomes the manager, nineteen thirty four to forty seven. He oversees us throughout the war as well. He coached us for two hundred and seventy nine games. He won one hundred and twenty nine, drawn seventy four and seventy six. So, yeah, um, he won two league titles, which were in you said already uh, thirty four thirty five. Um, well, actually that. Would, would 34-35 be counted as his? That, that was his. Probably, yeah, that was his. He was yeah. there for the whole of that season. Yeah, yeah. And then 37-38 as well. Uh, also won an FA Cup and a couple of charity shields along the way. Um, wh- Mark, what, what stood out about this guy uh, as a manager? What was his qualities as a manager? Ferg, Ferg, wait a minute, Mark. Just wait a second. Ferg, I'm really sorry, mate. But the, see, there's, there's an interesting thing here in that before Alison became secretary manager, I'd like to. What credentials did he have to be? He weren't. He weren't a player of any of any of any quality at all, was he? And he was a top-notch. Sorry, he was a top-notch program editor. Yeah, well, this is what <laughs> I've heard. So, how does he end up being secretary manager of the biggest football club in the United Kingdom? Well. He started off, as, as Mark said, he was well, he was a journalist in the early part of the 20th century. Um, when Arsenal moved to Highbury, he was invited to become Arsenal programme manager, uh, programme editor rather, uh, which he did up until 1927. And when Henry Norris, uh, William Hall, Jack Humble and George Peachy were, were kicked off the board, Arsenal needed new board members. And... George Allison was invited onto the board, by, by which time he'd become you know, um, quite a famous journalist and he was also a radio commentator. Um, I'm not 100% certain why they invited him on the board, but he, you know, he bought, in, bought shares into the club. He became one of the biggest shareholders as well. He had about 500 shares in the club. I think uh, it just so answered became, your question. <laughs> yeah, he became, yeah, he became the director first. So he sat on the board from 1927 up until 1934 when um, he actually applied to become manager of the club now we've looked through the club minutes and there's a there was a very interesting scrap of paper uh that was um sort of like paper clipped to the back of the minute books and on it it there's there's not a great deal of writing but it alludes to george allison becoming the new manager but what was even more interesting was if you turn the piece of paper over, it appears to be from the order of service of Herbert Chapman's funeral. Oh, blind. So I'm wondering if George Allison had it in his mind to become or push towards becoming the new manager, and he's thinking about it while they're uh, they're seeing off Herbert Chapman. So I think he, you know, being a director, he knew all the all, what was happening on. You know, within the board, so perhaps he was pushing himself to become the manager of Arsenal. Fergus, our history—the history of our club—is amazing, mate. And it, some of the things we find out from talking to these two boys, it's just astonishing. Just so, astonishing. You, 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 you know what I do? I, 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 in answer to your question, go on, sorry. It, 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 it probably wasn't his footballing now that got him the gig, because. Because basically, he relied on Shaw and Whitaker for the tactics um, and for all the all the all, basically all the playing went through went, went through them. 
you know, all of the coaching, everything went through them. He was the manager, as in, you know, he was a, he was a, he was the, the front piece. He, he was out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, all the backroom boys were doing all of the football stuff. It wasn't really him because I let come to the players complained bitterly about him not being knowing anything. I can't remember who they were, but there was quite a few quotes saying he was didn't know great about football. Um, but you know, he he was relatively successful in that he knew certain things. Also, he did know he did know the game was up when he when it was time to go after the Second World War, didn't he? Andy, he did yep. he did sort of so, yeah. you know he did say straight away one season that's it I'm finished. You know, take over Tom. And- Mm-hmm. And du- du- during the war, so uh, during the war, that old phrase from uh, Only Fool and Horses, eh? Um, we had to move out from Highbury uh, because uh, Highbury became um, uh, an air raid uh, precaution. Um, it, it was um, an ARP centre, so it like had barrage balloons and anti-aircraft guns and so on. Um, Andy, what do you know about that? And, 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 and then Mark probably talked to us a little bit about us having to play our games uh, um, uh, down the road in N17. Andy, do you want to go uh, first? Yeah, like, like you say, it was taken over by the authorities. Um, one of the big things that they did was they stored stretchers under the North Bank, which we'll probably talk about in a bit, which caused a bit of a problem. Um, but there, there were some games that actually took part at Highbury during during the war, and they were air raid patrol uh, uh, teams playing against each other. And Tom, play, play, people like Tom Whitaker played uh, players that weren't hadn't been called up into the army uh, that early, or other back members of the backroom staff. So that, they, there was a few games played at Highbury, but only in the first season after the war, and they weren't official games. But there are document you know, they are documented by a guy called Harry Homer, who became the program editor just before the war. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that was it. And, and it was actually used uh, during air raids as well. So people, local people during air raids, they would come and sleep behind the, you know, in the West Stand behind where the seats were in the, in the yeah. um, corridors behind there. There's actually um, quite a good, there's a guy who works for Arsenal in the community called Samir Singh. And he put us on to um, a, a lady who actually stayed in Arsenal's, in Highbury, you know, the stadium during the war and she uh, wrote quite a nice piece on, um, on, a, on a website somewhere. We'll have to dig that one out. And it tells uh, of how, you know, the people were staying there and what was happening from day to day uh, and, and who was knocking around. One of them was George Allison. She remembers George Allison there. It's quite a, a great story. Brilliant. And Mark, um, we had to go and play down the road in uh, N17. Um, we did indeed. Many games and and and, and probably cross referencing that with there were some guests because of uh, a lot of the players at at war and uh, and so on. Um, there was some guest players that played like Stanley Matthews, Stan Morrison, Bill Shankly, all wore the Arsenal shirt. Was that at those ex- exhibition games that Andy was talking about at Highbury, or was that at uh, no, no, uh, they, White Hart Lane? Basically, what, what what they did they played um, they played a number of cup games, you know, war cup games, war league games. Um, I mean, they played loads, loads of games, loads of games. I mean, was it fifty other season? You know, they were mm-hmm. and they're they're different leagues. I mean, it's difficult to to, to go into it you know, in in huge depth. But you know, they, they, they were all regional. Setups. They were regional leagues, weren't they? Yeah, and also they they changed the setup because 
Allison got fed up with it and he wanted to change certain th bits and pieces. Um, but, I mean, standouts were, I was looking at this earlier, um, in one game, um, Leslie Compton, who was a centre-half, was actually played centre-forwards for most games. He scored 10 goals in one game. I think we won that on 15-2, wasn't it, against Clapton Orient? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, there was lots of play, you know, and, and also a lot of Arsenal players did go up um, wherever they were stationed. They would have played, say, for you know, for Newcastle, for for, for whoever else, Leeds, um, you know, Man U, etc. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of work on Sunderland myself in the war, um, and there's quite a few number of Arsenal players who played up there, um, purely because they were stationed there. You know, so there's, you know, you know, guess for guess, they couldn't, they wouldn't have played a lot of the games without having that facility just to play other professionals to come in, um, you know, and and to actually put them into the team. So, mm. Mark, Mark, I've, I've got. Sorry, Fergus, I keep biting. I've got your Bible in front of me, so I could look at this, but I'm not going to be bothered. I'm going to ask you the question. But all those games played during the war years, when all those <clears throat> wonderful players from. From from that period, played for the Arsenal as guests. They're not recorded in the, as Arsenal history, are they? Or is it just Arsenal war history? If I looked in your book, would I no. see that these lads had, had put in appearances for Arsenal? No, because they're, they're they're treated as a minor. They're treated as a, a minor competition. Yeah. Um, okay. So they're not treated as a, as a as a as a full official. Official game. I mean, on, on the website, they're on the website, aren't they, Andy? If I remember, they are, yeah, yeah. On our the website, details, all the details of everybody who played for Arsenal is on the web. For both the First World War and the Second World War is on there. And in the in the complete record, we we did the, a season, and we also mentioned people who were affected by the, you know players were affected by the war. But we did one season per you know page per season, just so that we put right. So because some of the seasons you can't. It's, it's very hard to find information out because a lot of the, the reports just didn't, it was just, a, you know, game. This, this was played, that was played. And other times there was a huge amount of information. Yeah. And well, for, 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 for us, player, sorry, during, during the war, for us, as Mark says, finding information was really, really difficult. Um, the, there was rationing of, of paper. So newspapers went from being like 30 pages down to four pages. So they had to ration what news they could put in there and um you know so the, the football tended to be you know you might get the scores recorded um so it's, it's very very difficult but we, we yeah we we do have um all the lineups for all of the games but as, as mark says they're on the website yeah which I, 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 I just put the programs are one that sheet. up on there, which is arsenalhistory.com. Go on, Mark, go on. Yeah, the programs were, were, were literally one sheet. You know, you were lucky if you had four pages, you know, like a, a, a A4 bit folded up. Most of them were just card size with, on, you know, information on two sides, one, one sheet of paper on two sides. Not just for Arsenal, for over the whole of football. And, and yeah. the paper was really thin as well. It was almost yeah. like, so, you know, if you can get programs of good quality, you're very lucky. And tell us this about um, uh, team members that served in the war. Um, did many of the Arsenal players uh, serve in the Second World War? I know we touched on some of this when we've done a general roundup of Arsenal history when we got into this. Uh, and uh, a number of players did serve and, and some came back, some didn't. Uh, which one of you would like to take this topic up? Because I know 
one one of you was more clued up on the on the wall. Probably more Mark's field. Yeah, that's um, what I thought. Yeah. Um. Well, pretty much every single player, um, was called up because because unlike the First World War before nineteen sixteen, it wasn't a voluntary thing. You you were called up. You know, it was conscripted. You were conscripted. Um. I think Bastin didn't. But the only reason was because he was deaf. He was hard of hearing. So, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> so he Poor he was um, he he was excused. He was excused duties on on that base. But I don't think there was uh, there was any other you know there was any other um, player that didn't. I didn't... think uh, Ernie Collett must have had something because he played in a lot of games during the war. He no, maybe, maybe. regularly, but yeah. I'm not sure what he's. Yeah, what well, maybe about. maybe he was he was in a a, a sec. He wasn't he wasn't a fighting he wasn't a fighting section. He was somewhere he was doing some other job. Mm. He, 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 yeah, you know, him really. Um, no, I mean there's there's did we lose many players. Of, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of players. I mean we can you know you can go through you go the list. It's, it's on the book. Um, I mean it's twelve thirteen people involved with the club. Um, I'm saying twelve thirteen because we found one other one other person. Um, who, we lost more than any other club. Yeah, who were killed. Mm. Um, and I mean, mm. when 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 you research it, that the, the really the bit that, that I always find really sad is when they say how they're remembered, and almost all of them are remembered on a memorial, not being buried or cremated, because never found the bodies. You know, naval planes, etc., falling out of the sky. Um, it, 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 it's, it's that type of thing that really does make you think about it. Um, yeah. You know what it must have been like for the, for the, you know the relatives. You know, just mm. finding out, um, and there's there's no there's nothing. You know, there was nothing to commemorate them with, because yeah. it, it, Mark, it's very true, and 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 don't worry, I'm not going to politicise this. Far from it, actually. But it, 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 the reason. You know, we're here now is because these people went and fought for us a long time ago and memories are fading. But, you know, we do need to still pay our respects for them, you know, to them, because without them, we're not about. So, yeah, I understand that, that memories are fading and the kids now that they don't remember anything about it. But we do still need to remember them because they're, they're probably the reason why we're still here to talk now about the great, our great football club, you know. Anyway. And listen, Highbury didn't come off uh, that well either. Um, Highbury got bombed, the clock end got bombed in October 1940. And uh, I found some footage uh, which you might find interesting uh, here, which is um, the clock end in 1941. It was April 1941. Sorry, the North Bank. And this is, um, I, I shared it with the guys and, and as much as they're historians and, and done a lot of stuff, you hadn't seen this, guys, had you, Andy? No. No, not at all. So I've seen fo still photographs of it, but not uh, video footage. And um, yeah, I mean, it shows how badly you know the, the North Bank was destroyed. Well, it was destroyed pretty mm. much. And and it, but it wasn't actually bombs that physically destroyed it. It was uh, incendiary devices that set fire to the stretchers that were being stored on the terraces, and then. Um, they caused such a fire that if effectively the North Bank melted, the cover on the North Bank melted. So the terraces weren't weren't affected, but the the cover of the uh, the North Bank was, and it had to be destroyed, it had to be pulled down. 
So you could, been, you could sort of see that still, can't you, Andy? Because there's uh, no holes in that roof. That no. roof is given way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and and the supports for it as well. And it's quite sad, really, isn't it? I mean, when you look at it. Oh, unbelievable. I was just looking at that then, lads, thinking those 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 crush barriers that were still standing around the sides there. I wonder if they were st still the same ones that you know I went on to lent on in the seventies, or if they had to change them all. You know, no, they, they look might well have been. Yeah, they, they look, look similar, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do, mate. Yeah, they do look similar. That's an amazing bit of footage, Fergus. You've done well there, mate. Mm. If anybody said, "Listen to the audio," get yourself onto YouTube. Uh, we're twenty-eight minutes in. Have a look at the um, have a look at the the video clip. Uh, it's really, really. And now to know that it was stretches that were underneath the North Bank and the, and the heat that there must have been there was unreal. I know uh, goalposts were damaged. Um, it was also um, uh, the South Stand was 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 uh, the South. Uh, what did I say? The so that, South yeah, Stand the, was damaged as well. Yeah, there, there was a yeah. It wasn't like loads of damage on on the clock end. It was on the southeastern corner. And again, if you go on Google, you'll eventually find it. There's a picture of um, a workman working on that area, so it's sort of like in sort of like the towards the the the, the back end of the um, the clock end, or was the the south terrace as it was then? Oh no, it was the clock mm. end by then, wasn't it? We moved the clock there, so but it's in like the eastern corner. So it, yeah, it, it was a training pitch, wasn't it? Yeah, and no, I just after the war it, that it, that's that damage wasn't repaired until a couple of seasons after the war had finished. So you know they, it was all fenced off. And, and people still used, you know, just sort of stood around it. Before you come in, there was also a thousand pound bomb that um, hit Highbury, uh, or, uh, Highbury Hill and, and um, uh, the Arsenal tube station. And there were some workmen working around the, the stadium. And I believe two guys uh, lost their lives there as well. So, you know, and the, uh, there was lots of people. You talked about people uh, sheltering in the West End for air raids and stuff. Uh, Arsenal tube station was uh, always full of men, women, and children, or mostly women and children, um, of an evening uh, uh, protecting themselves from the bombs. Trev, uh, carry on, and then we'll move past the war. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was just just going to lighten it a little bit because I asked Mark and Andy this question before we started recording this, Fergus, didn't I? And their, their answer made me giggle greatly. So I'm going to ask it again for the benefit of the people listening. How on earth did the East and West stands survive <laughs> when all the damage came to the North and South Banks? How did they survive, boys? I'm not going to say the answer that I said previously. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was, you know, I mean, it was luck, wasn't it? It was it pure, was pure luck. luck. Yeah. That was what I was pushing for. I was pushing me for the other answer. <laughs> no, it, it was just pure luck. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Bin Laden was a gooner, wasn't he? Apparently. We brought it up first. I did. Let's move swiftly on. <laughs> sorry, just before we finish on. on the war, actually, Arsenal had quite a some good, quite a fair amount of success uh, in these regional leagues and regional cups, which you'd expect because they were playing against lower league teams. Now, you know, they're playing teams from London and the southeast. So, although you've got, you know fairly biggish teams like Tottenham and Chelsea playing in there. You've also got Watford and Brentford and Reading and, and a lot of lower league teams. So in the early part of the war, Arsenal 
actually managed to keep a lot of their their big name players playing for them. There weren't that many guest players in the first two or three seasons of the war, so they were putting out you know quite uh, strong teams, and we had a real good run in those regional leagues and actually reached um, national cup final as well. But from forty three onwards, a lot of the players were fighting overseas. And so that's when we started to use the guest players. And if you look at the list of players, the number of players that we used each season, it was you know well into the fifties. And so players were coming in for the odd game here and there. And then that was you know how we started to to dip away. And by forty five, forty six, which was even after the war had finished, but the last season of, of wartime football, you could see that we had a bit of an issue there. We were finishing about midway in uh, what was the Football League South. Well, you know what? It's, it's like you've, you've done this loads of times before, Andy. I was just about to go. The conflict ended in 1945. Professional football resumed in 46. But the, the, the war left us weaker. And indeed, we were almost relegated from the top division in 1947 before rallying to 13th uh, with 16 points behind Liverpool. Mark, uh, that, that, was, that was the end of the Allison era and the start of the Whittaker era, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, as I said before, um, you know, the, uh, Andy said last week, I mean, the only reason that we didn't, well, that we didn't get close to relegation was he bought Joe Mercer and Ronnie Rook, um, you know, f- which basically sorted out the defence and the attack in one fell, one fell swoop. Um, uh, you know, I mean, my dad started supporting the club at that period, well, with that season, um, just after the war. Um, as I say, when, when he... You know, I worked out because he, he, he was trying to work out his first game, and I think we were second to bottom when he when he when he first saw us. Um, so that shows you how, you know, how how what it was actually a big turnaround really um, to go. Yeah. For, you know, we were in dire straits. Um, then Ronnie Rook came in and scored the goals. Mercer shored the defence up. Everyone was happy, and then next season, Whitaker took over a few fresh ideas. So league leagues won. And we only go and win it, which, yeah. <laughs> which which a good joined on the first of June, nineteen forty-seven. Four hundred and twenty-six games in charge of Arsenal. Won one hundred and ninety-nine, drew one hundred and six, and lost one hundred and twenty-one. Um, he did bring us uh, some glory back in nineteen fifty in FA Cup and uh, nineteen fifty-three, um, our sixth league title. Um, let's talk about that FA Cup then, Andy. Um, smiling Joel Mercer, as you, you you were talking about Mercer. Um, yeah. was carried around uh, Wembley like this with the FA Cup in hand because uh, it seemed to be all on him, didn't it? Yeah, he was a truly inspirational captain. He was He's up there with Tony Adams and Frank McClintock. You know, he's, he, he, was, he had bandy legs. He wasn't the fastest of players. He was well into his 30s by the time he joined Arsenal, but he knew how to organise the team on the pitch. Uh uh, that that season we we had a bit of a stroke of luck that we had a, a couple of years ago in the FA Cup in that we were drawn at home uh, every round. So and also in the semi final we played Chelsea at White Hart Lane and and in a replay again, again we played at White Hart Lane. So we never actually left London in winning that FA Cup. But there was one there was one thing that saw that, that started you know. Uh, another slide for Arsenal, unfortunately, and it, it probably started around about then, and it's 
you know, by 1953, we, we were lucky to win the league. But going back to that 1950 Cup final, Arsenal were the oldest team to win the Cup final at that point, and I think we still are. So a lot of the players, uh, you know, joined Arsenal before the war, or they were quite old when they joined Arsenal after the war. So the the average age of the team was, was well over 30. Oh, wow. Trev, um, this is your ticket from that that that, uh, that day on the 29th of April, 1950. You must have been, what, in your early 20s then? I was just going to say I was 25, Fergus, yeah. When, when 25, came. yeah. Well, don't forget we've got to meet up again soon, mate, you know. And, uh, <laughs> well, I'm moving swiftly on. The interesting thing is, boys, I, I, the war's over now, right? The North Bank's been wrecked. And there's a fund set up, isn't there, for by the government and by people for rebuilding of buildings and replacement. But didn't the Arsenal have to wait a long, long time in well into the reign of Tom Whitaker before they got the roof back on the North Bank, didn't they? Either mm-hmm. of you guys? Yeah. 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 It's because there's still shortage. I think it's 1956 before it was uh, yeah. put back up. So 11 years after the war ended, we're still waiting yeah. for them to fit. Obviously, yeah. they'd cleared the North Bank Terrace and... Uh, and it was just like the same as a clock here, was it, Mark? Say that again. I say what they've done after the war, they cleared the roof of the North Bank Terrace and left it open, did they, until yes. until they managed to find yeah, to- 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 yeah. totally empty until the start of the 56 57 season. Um, and then, sadly, um, a couple of months afterwards, Whitaker died. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they put that up and then he died a couple of months after. So building new stands seemed to have a bad effect on uh, <laughs> the last majors then because Chapman went before the East stand. You know, it's almost like a, like a, a modern day open Aaron Ramsey don't score a goal. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> and, and, and look at the demise of Enger once he moved across to the Emirates. Like, you know, everybody went mm. against him then. So, yeah. Um, listen, nineteen fifty. Two, we lost against Newcastle in the FA Cup final. Another one of Trevor's ticket stubs. Uh, what happened in that game then? Uh, Mark, you said let's uh, gloss over that one, but I'm not going to let you get away with that too easily. What happened in that game then? One nil loss to Newcastle, who won in 1952 and then won again in 1955. At such a big club in the northeast have won nothing since. We lost to the better team. With seven players. And that's all I can say. I believe in that game, the first Chilean scored, didn't he, Andy? Mm-hmm. First Chilean scored yeah. in the FA. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, we we were um, we were short of a number of players um, due to injuries and and tiredness, I believe. Um, I was trying to, really, I think we had seven players at the end, didn't we? Seven fit players. Yeah. Ray Daniel played with a cast on his arm. But I think that the, the yeah. big injury was Wally Barnes, who we lost quite early yeah, during on during the game, game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we finished with seven players on the pitch, or no, just no. there was no seven okay. fit players. That, that, what Barnes had gone off. We actually had ten, but Logie, Daniel, and there was someone else who was who was really really tired. Um, so yeah, I mean we were you know it was a bit like eleven players playing the five was you know. I think it's five side team at the end of it. Fergus, you're forgetting, mate. You're uh, and we're going to laugh again here, but I'm deadly serious. You're forgetting, mate, that in them days, in them 1952 FA Cup final, the players were different to now. 
they'd play with a broken mm. leg if they were allowed, you know, they wouldn't I didn't roll know. on the floor and hobble around and, and, and crawl off the pitch, you know, they'd, they'd play the game. Well, I, I... I, I know that there wasn't many substitutions and the guys will probably tell me when it was uh, more than two substitutions come in because I think there was no subs at one point and then there was one sub and then it went two and and oh, now we're no, five. And, no, yeah. sub, no subs in 1952. They didn't come in until the mid-60s. Bert Troutman played go. the FA Cup final with a broken neck. He did for Manchester mm. City. With yeah. a broken neck for, he only died a couple of years ago, didn't he? Bert mm. Troutman. Yeah, he only passed a couple of years. Played a game of a broken neck burger. Can you imagine it now? Can you imagine it uh, now? No, I think. Well, but you just have to ask those Italian players. You just have to ask, ask that Italian player uh, who went down in the box uh, the other day uh, to see if if he could play with a broken neck or a broken nail, even. So listen, we move on to nineteen fifty. You mean that Italian player called Sterling? Is that the Italian player you mean, mate? Is it? Now we'll move on. <laughs> So 1953, Whitaker uh, wins our sixth title. Um, it was one on the first of May, but it was it was by the skin of our teeth. Um, it was down to they didn't have goal difference then. It was down to uh, uh, a ratio, wasn't it, of, of goal average, Andy? That's correct. So it's goals for divided by goals against, which created all sorts of weird and wonderful, you know, scenarios. If you think about it early on in the season, a team could win 1-0 and they'd have a better goal average than a team that won 10-1. Because they've conceded so, a goal. You know, it, it was just like a, a, a real, you know, it, something that was brought on at the, towards the beginning of when the Football League started in, a, in the 1880s and it continued then until, you know, like the, the mid-1970s. It was a really stupid way of deciding who finished above who. But it worked for us that season, so I'm not really complaining that much. Well, we picked Preston to, to the title, but was that not um, almost a reward for Whittaker's sort of style of play, of football? Um, yeah. That he was very much about, you know, we'll score, you, you can score two, we'll score three. Yeah, yeah, which he, you know, he continued on from the, the Chapman days. And when you know, we spoke about before the war, when you know we, we failed to replace Alex James, so the, the last couple of seasons before the war, it, we, we, you know we, we weren't playing as well as we had played before then. After the war, or sorry, just before the war, we bought a, bought a player from Scotland who actually missed you know he missed out on all of the um, war you know missed playing for us during the wartime. Uh, it was Jimmy Logie, and um, he seemed to be the guy that actually did replace Alex James. Yeah. And while he was there, um, you know, we had a, a great run of success and we scored an awful lot of goals. And he was playing in the same sort of uh, position as a pivot as uh, Alex yeah. James. And I, I would certainly say that he was the one that, along with Joe Mercer, that gave us that run of success just after the war. And uh, once Joe Mercer finished playing, he was actually uh, captain of the club. Uh, la last area we're going to talk about, um, it's not one I've really prepared about, but it was it was following uh, a, a message conversation between yourself, uh, you, you guys and Trevor about international, England internationals in the 50s. Um, Trevor, I'll leave, I'll leave you take this one. Well, you're talking about the the, the, the Italy England Italy game, are you at uh, at Highball? 
What was it called? Uh, no, you. No, we can, I, we can sorry, talk I, about that if you want. I'm talking about the number of internationals that uh, and and the level and the quality of Arsenal's squad at the time. Then. Oh, yeah, I, I think it was I the, never, the this. Never had a clue about this. You have to be Mark and Andy that lead us through this. Uh, it's, okay. it's astonishing fact. Yeah. So yeah, Trevor brought up about the Battle of Highbury, as it was England against Italy, that uh, was played at, at Highbury. And it had seven Arsenal players started the game. And we also had Tom Whitaker was the trainer for England. Um, which in you know, England won three two and Italy were world champions at the time. Um so you know it's a, an incredible amount of players from one club to play for an international team. And you know, after that we were still getting player, you know, five or six Arsenal players playing the England team. But after the war, it, it all fell apart. And then between 1950 and 1960, there were only four Arsenal players played for England. Amazing. Uh, yeah, Lionel Smith played six games and the other three only managed four between them. So, you know, the total appearances was only 10. So they weren't Although even regulars? Not even no, regulars? No, no. No. That's astonishing. 10 years and we had 10 England appearances. Yeah. But no, what, one of those... One of those was Milton, wasn't it? Yeah, Arthur Milton. And he he was a dual he was the last dual international England England for cricket and football. Brilliant. Did, did, I'm just curious. Did, did the comp none of the comp neither of the Compton brothers played football for England then? Leslie did. He was one of them, one of the Arsenal players. So he played did two he, games for England. Did he not play cricket for England then, Leslie Compton? Oh sorry, no, he didn't play cricket no. for England, no. Really? Yeah. God, I'd have put my money on the fact that he did. Yeah. And Dennis and Dennis Compton, Dennis Compton didn't play for England football. He played for cricket. Oh, he played for England in the wartime. Yeah. He played for England in the wartime, but not, you know. But he was such a good cricketer, it was, you know. Yeah. So, so Les Les Compton, he made his international debut in 1950, and he was, I think, he was 38 at that time. Mm. You know, he joined yeah. Arsenal in 1931, I think, and. Yeah, for many years he was he was said to have been the oldest player to have made his England debut. But over the last ten years or so, someone's found another player. He was a, a goalkeeper back in the eighteen seventies. He might have even been England's first goalkeeper. He was like six months older than Les Compton, but he's still the oldest outfield player to make his England debut. That's Incredible, amazing. isn't it? Thirty-eight years yeah. old. Thirty-eight years Yeah. And in his second and in his second and last appearance, he scored an own goal. Oh, how's your luck? <laughs> how's your luck? Yeah, guys, um, I really enjoy, but I, I thought this was going to be a, a difficult era to cover because I didn't think a huge amount happened. But as I find on every one of these uh podcasts that we've done, I just I've learned I learned something new every time. Uh, and uh, we're talking about you know afterwards i'll sit over the pub at the weekend and i'll chat to some of my mates and said did you know and i'll come out with some stuff and they go where did you learn that from and i'll go you need to tune into this podcast so i really do appreciate it guys if you do want to see more of what the guys do look at the arsenal history uh and uh arsenalhistory.com um andy mark uh, go on leading up to the game give us a prediction what you got for uh sunday mark go first one nil. Two. Two. <laughs> well, it's going to be England, isn't it? Oh, okay, there we go. That's fine. What, it's it's 
We're not bloody mind readers, Marcus. <laughs> if, I'd, if it had been Italy, I'd have said nil one, wouldn't I? Well, I don't know. I think England are, are officially the away team. So, yeah. So, uh, Andy, uh, what are you going for? Um, I, I can't see England beating Italy. I think it'll be 2 0 to Italy. Okay. Oh, I'll, I'll consider, I can see it's winning. I, I think as it's going to be really love tight. Us, as much as I'd love us to win and put, you know, 46 years of misery, uh, you know, since I started following football. With that behind me, I just can't see us beating Italy. I, th I think it's going to be tough. Uh, I I do think that the Wembley crowd, it could be too much pressure, but I think it also could be if when they need to dig deep and uh, as um, Delia Smith was uh, Le Lesbian Avenue, I think they could uh, they could be that twelfth man. Trev, uh, your um, prediction on the game? Bear in mind, I got no horse in the race, have I? To be honest, mate, I'm like I'm a bit like Andy, and it. To put a bit of logic to it, if you look at the, the Spain-Italy semi-final and you look at the England-Denmark semi-final, the standard of football, I thought, it was massive difference. There was a massive difference in skills. I thought the Italy-Spain game was a much better game to watch, if I'm honest, from a football perspective, obviously not as an Englishman. But football's football. So I'm going to stick me. I'm going to say I'm going to go for another 1-1 win for England. I'm ready for <laughs> Yeah, you and Lee, you and Lee judges together, hey right? <laughs> guys. I'm 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 gonna go for. Uh, I really do want to see a party in 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 Essex, and I am gonna go for a two-one to England against the odds. I think it's gonna be a really tough game. I'm hoping it's a ninety-minute. I'm not hoping for uh, extra time and penalties and everything else. But uh, all I can say is best of luck, England. Um, you got a paddy behind you. So, <laughs> wow. guys, thanks very much as always. Uh, the next episode is 1953 to 1986, leading us up through the 70s and the Bertie Meir era and George Graham, captain wow, that's Arsenal. That's going to be a busy That's going to be a busy one, Ferg. It is indeed. And a double and a first European, a first European uh, trophy to talk about. Then the, the, the double and then cup three years in a row, cup finals. There'll be a busy one, that one. Plan for about five hours, lads, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you do me a favour? Can you do some work on it this time, please, Trev? Like you left it all down to me this time. And, and what a great job you've done, Fergus. I've only had to carry you for half the show instead of normally the whole show. So you're a lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can see where you can get Andy at Gooner underscore AK. Uh, Mark is Royal Arsenal um, MRA. Uh, I'm, um, I'm Guns and Ribbons and, and Gooner Hilsey. Uh, thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you do, just like click like, subscribe, tell your mates about it. Uh, this is uh, this is Arsenal's uh, Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Thanks very much, everybody. Enjoy the football. You've been listening to Guns and Yellow Ribbons, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons. And remember to rate and review us too.